the theme song at the start of the show. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Gonna watch a movie, got a thousand more to go. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Watching everything on Disney seeming like a chore. And since I started singing, they already added more. So stop wasting time on the theme song. Just tell us the name of the show. What a terrible name for the show. It's worse than the theme song. Hello and welcome to the podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we watch and rank all 1,822 movies on Disney+. My name is Sean and I am here with my co-hosts Bob and Rob. And Rob, you're looking at your phone, man. What are you looking at your phone for? <laughs> Keep your head in the game. What's going on? Look. I should get my head in the game, okay? Then I have to keep my head in the game. Okay, so you haven't even started with your head in the game. Your head has never even entered the game at this point. No, I haven't started with my head in the game. You've lived your life outside of the game. While the rest of us are playing the game, you are off somewhere else. (laughs) Do we have to break into song again to remind you of how important that is? Oh, God, no. There there will be no more songs. Songs are banished at this point. Please, right now. No, Bobby. Bobby, start singing. (laughs) I've I've been told otherwise. What's so entertaining on your phone, Rob? Don't make me take your phone away. Put it in my trash can and give you detention for 15 minutes where you have to go make a <laughs> set for a musical, a camel with shades on. I don't know why. this. We keep referencing our high school musical episode right now, but whatever. It's because it just came out for us. <laughs> just came out and I had to listen to it yeah. a dozen times while editing. So that's in my head. I had to listen to it a dozen times because I listened to it a dozen times. That was a funny episode. Bobby, you had mentioned this. You said that uh, since we recorded it, I'll want to say four years ago, it was all the jokes were new. It was really funny. I really liked that episode. That was great. You did a great job, Sean. And the music and everything was awesome. All right. Well, how are you doing, Rob? What's new? I just happened to be at Bobby's birthday party the other day. Ooh, what did you do at Bobby's birthday party? So how, how old are you, Bob, now? Like 26 or 50? Uh, somewhere between those two. Okay. Now I'm 37 years old now, which you will be soon and Rob will be eventually. Mentally, he will always be six, but that's why we love him. <laughs> it's the little things in life that make me, you know, happy. Like... Shiny objects and balls of yarn. You know, it's funny because he says that and you ask, like, what happened at my birthday party yesterday? I was showing everyone this, like, skateboarding simulation game and Rob just fell off the board for, like, ten minutes and laughing every time like it was the first time he'd ever seen it happen. <laughs> Wait, sorry, what are you talking about? What it, Describe what this is, a skateboarding simulation game? What is this? It's a video game called Session and another friend of mine was interested. Oh, here, I'll show you the controls. I'll show you how to play it. And bailing or falling in the game is very easy to do and they made it kind of entertaining with ragdoll physics. And, like, Rob just made that the game. <laughs> oh, so this is just a video game. Yeah. Like, he had a controller. Yeah. So not only can Rob not skateboard, he cannot play a video game where someone skateboards. Well, I was trying to play the controls like it was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, but uh, it's completely da, different. Da, 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 <laughs> Getting older all the time, feeling younger in my mind. That's hilarious. I know that's Pro Skater 1, but that's the one I know. I don't know the soundtrack to Pro Skater 2. I know, it's, it's okay. Like, Goldfinger is, like, living off the royalty checks they got out of that game for sure. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that record actually actually went platinum because of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. It's a good skateboarding song. Yeah. That plays in my head anytime I see somebody skateboarding. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's just the soundtrack to, like, doing a kickflip. You have no idea how bad I feel now that every time you ever saw me rode a skateboard, ska music played in your head. 
<laughs> I'm so sorry. Why do you uh, think I stopped hanging out with you when you yeah. were skateboarding? <laughs> I used I used to come hang out with you while you were skateboarding, and that slowly petered away. It was because of the ska music in my brain. I moved to Vancouver, and you moved to Toronto without telling me. Everything adds up now. I get it. <laughs> I needed to get away from the ska music. So, in recap, I'm doing good. Thank you, Sean. It's because you're not constantly listening to ska music. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby, how you doing? <laughs> so despite being happy that I've celebrated another trip around the sun, I am now deeply saddened by the heartache I've caused my dear friend. Aww. <laughs> ska music is the root of all of life's problems. Hey, you said it, not me. Ska music is all of life's problems, but with a trumpet. So You, play, you, you used to play the trumpet, so that like really hammers everything home. Still in the closet. And every time I open it up, I hear... <laughs> Are we going to have to pay royalties for this episode? I don't think I'm in tune enough. <laughs> for the algorithm to catch me. <laughs> See, now it's like, I mean, especially like if you were ever working from home, you hear the skateboard and go by and you hear the song coming from the trumpet, like at the back of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Green Goblin mask, but it's the trumpet. Sean, make them pay. <laughs> I'm doing okay. Life sucks, but I got a trumpet. Bob, you got something exciting going on, so I should I should preface all of this with a little explanation for the listeners. This episode is going to be a little bit different. It's a two-parter. We are going to do two episodes in a row. We're going to release them back-to-back, week-to-week. So this is part one of a two-part episode exploring both of the <laughs> Pete's Dragons, because we're doing the 1977 and the 2016 Pete's Dragons movies. Now, the reason why we're recording both of these back-to-back today is because Bob... Jetting off to an undisclosed location to shoot a movie somewhere for two weeks. So we got to bank a couple of these episodes, get him in the hole so that Bob can go do his other career. He's not a professional podcaster. Bob, you haven't told me what you're shooting. I'm assuming it's Avatar 3, the panther rides the pterodactyl. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not telling you whether I'm the panther or the pterodactyl, but like, keep your eyes open. That was going to be my next question. You you skipped ahead. (laughs) I now have no more notes because my next question was going to be, are you the panther or are you the pterodactyl? Well, thanks anyway. Bob. I'm out of content. We all know that there's only one person who plays mocap flying lizards, and it's Benedict Cumberbatch. You're finally, you're gonna have to work with him while you ride him. So he plays the pterodactyl, and Bob plays the panther. Yeah. Yes, exactly. We're gonna have a little behind-the-scenes shot of Benedict Cumberbatch crawling around on the floor, and Bobby just riding him like he's like a little horsey. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'll just be all fours on Benedict's batch for like two weeks straight. It took two weeks to get that shot right. Hey, Jim's a perfectionist. What can I say? He is. All right, cool. So you can't tell us what it is, assuming it's Avatar. But anyway, have fun. Away, Bob, yeah. while we release both of these Pete's Dragons back to back. Thank you. Uh, anything else to say before we get into it? Well, we got to do our world famous segment. Ooh, what segment is that, Rob? Did anybody write a review this week? Never heard of it. Da 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 da, et cetera, et cetera. Let's take a look. Let's take a peek. Did anybody write a review this week? Rob, did anyone write a review this week? So this one was a review in the form of an email. Um, this one says, hello, exclamation mark. I don't see a subject. Oh, it does. It says request for the Black Cauldron. That's a listener request. That's not a review. Well, he says, love you guys and your show. Five stars. Okay. Um... I was hoping you could watch slash review The Black Cauldron. It's a weird one, at the very least, but also That's a gives listener request. We're going to read this out when we do the listener request, Rob. Well, then what's his review? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the five stars part? Just the five stars part. 
Oh, okay, let's start over then. Sorry. No, no, we're not starting over. This is all going in the episode. This is the first time that we've recorded since you've had your listener request song. Yeah. So this is a new segment, I guess, that we're putting in here. We're going to do the Black Cauldron at some point. Okay. You have to excise that from the review. Okay. Because we, we need to spread out the content. We need to turn this into both a review and a listener request. <laughs> okay, but, uh, now that I know this, let's start over. Um, okay. All going in the episode. Fuck you. So, uh, did we get a review last week that said we should put less stuff at the beginning of the episode? <laughs> uh, all right, so let's start over for the people who just heard this. Hello, love you guys and your show, five stars. Reminds me vaguely of some guys I used to hang out with in high school. Keep up the good work, and I hope Sean has recovered from the cocktail episode. Cheers from South Australia. Oh, it's our Australian friend, that's who it is. Yeah. We talk about our Australian friend a lot in the Muppet Treasure Island episode, so. Despite that not being his request. <laughs> No, his request is apparently the Black Cauldron, so that'll be coming up eventually. And then we'll reread that letter because we'll just squeeze every last bit of content out of that orange. All right, thank you, Rob. <laughs> that was an excellent review this week. Thank you so much, Australian friend. Getting on to the other reoccurring segment of the show called The Show. Yay! First of all, we're talking about the first Pete's Dragon, the OG Pete's Dragon, the dragon that started it all, 1977's Pete's Dragon. The dragon that started all. Do you mean, like, Don Bluth's production company? Presumably the dragon from that other game he made. Dragon's Lair? Oh, yeah, yeah. Presumably the dragon from Dragon's Lair started Don Bluth's production company. Are you suggesting it's the same dragon? I'm saying that uh, Don Bluth left Disney immediately after this movie. I know that. (laughs) I I completely understand. I wonder if it is the same dragon. Maybe Dragon's Lair is a prequel. Maybe Don Bluth left because <laughs> Disney didn't want to do his Pete's Dragon prequel. He's like, I, I have a whole backstory for Elliot. First of all, he ate so many fucking damsels. <laughs> That's why he's so fat. <laughs> but we're not talking about Dragon's Lair. We're, tra- we're talking about the sequel to Dragon's Lair. Pete's <laughs> Dragon, 1977. All right, so a little backstory of this. It's based on a short story that's unpublished. And this short story was by Seton Miller and S.S. Field. Seton Miller is a famous old school golden era of Hollywood screenwriter. Uh, His credits are innumerable, but the one that just jumped out at me is that he's one of the credited writers on Errol Flynn's Adventures of Robin Hood. So, like, this guy is a classic name. Yeah. S.S. Field, on the other hand, I can find no record that he ever existed. Kind of sounds like a fake name. The only other credit he has on IMDb is a story credit for a 1937 gangster movie called On Such a Night. Night spelled N-I-G-H-T, so no, it was not the prequel to Pete's Dragon, eventually (laughs) made by Don Bluth. Um, That's the only other credit he has. He has two story credits, no screenwriting credit, so I kind of feel like maybe he's one of those Hollywood hairdressers. He's like, hey, you guys should do a movie about a dragon. Yeah. And then, like, his name shows up in the credits at some point down the road. Whoever S.S. Field is, he worked with Seton Miller on an unpublished short story called Pete's Dragon and the USA, parentheses, Forever after. Close what parentheses. The fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> I know. What the fuck is what I said? Um, what is this short story about? 
It's unpublished. Walt Disney bought it in the 50s. And then Seton Miller did a treatment to turn it into the movie. Into a movie. But there's no way to find out what this story was. Pete's Dragon and the USA, parentheses, forever after. Because it's just like locked away in a Disney warehouse somewhere. That's so dumb. Every time you say it. It's incomprehensible. I kind of want to break into the Disney vault and find that original short story and find out what the fuck this was about. Well, you need a haircut. Go find SS Field. (laughs) (laughs) Is that it? Do I get a joke? Yeah, that's a point. That's a point. Yay, points! We're not keeping track of this. I hope one of the listeners is. How many dings is that for Rob, <laughs> listeners? Is that three? Is he up to three now? Is it four? I mean, I'll take three, but I, I was thinking it was two. There was that episode he was kind of drunk and was, like, just having zinger after zinger. <laughs> Throwing nothing but strikes that episode. Wouldn't that make S.E. Field, like, older than time itself? <laughs> yes. S.S. Field, the oldest hairdresser in Hollywood. <laughs> That's their billboard sign. <laughs> they probably set up shop right after Bullwhip Griffin. All right, where was I? Okay, so Walt Disney purchased the short story to make it into a movie. Seton Miller did a treatment for it. Walt Disney sat on it for a little while. And then he thought, I am going to turn this into a two-part episode of my Disneyland television series, which is the precursor to The Wonderful World of Disney. Take a guess at who was going to play Pete. The kid from Shaggy Dog. Poochie. Well, the other one. The one who's not Poochie. Moochie? Moochie. (laughs) Moochie's dragon? (laughs) Kevin Corcoran was going to play Pete's middle name, quote, Moochie. It was going to still be called Pete's dragon, but they would just call him Moochie, and they're going to like, who was Pete? (laughs) So anyway, Moochie's dragon was about to go into production. Like, there was stories in Variety about the shooting of Moochie's dragon. Anyway, it was canceled at the last minute. Disney apparently did that a lot. Mm, We have a lot of those stories. His old Wizard of Oz sequel was canceled at the last minute moochie's dragon was canceled at the last minute it goes into the back of the vaults never gets made after walt disney died their only strategy of making new films is well what are the stuff that he never finished making yeah so they make bed knobs and broomsticks so they make sequel to the love buck so they make a sequel to the shaggy dog and they were like oh here's something he was working on pete's dragon let's make that like I said, I don't know what the original story for Pete's Dragon in the USA parentheses forever after was, <laughs> but I do know that the pitch originally was that you never see the dragon. This is basically mm. apparently a kid's version of Harvey. No, oh, wow. The kid claims to have a pet dragon. You perhaps see some consequences of a dragon's actions, but it's left ambiguous and it's more about this child's journey, someone alone with like an imaginary friend to like discovering a family, that kind of thing, which makes sense. I understand that much for a movie. But when they sat down to make it, they were like, yeah, but what if you saw the dragon? (laughs) And so the script for the, this version of Pete's dragon that came out in 1977 was written by Malcolm Marmestein. I feel like I'm pronouncing that wrong because I can't read my own writing, as per usual. That's another rule for the new drinking game whenever we do oh, it. Oh, God. Sean can't read his own writing. Malcolm Malcolm Marmestein, something like that. He wrote the script. He decided, well, you got to see the dragon. And so they needed to come up with a special effect, or how are they going to represent this dragon? And so they brought in Don Bluth, one of the lead animators at Walt Disney at the time, 
to animate the entire dragon because they decided they were going to do it using the same yellow screen sodium vapor process that they used for Mary Poppins and bed knobs and broomsticks in order to animate a dragon into a live action film. One of the opening shots of the dragon, Pete is like nuzzling up to Elliot's face and I was like, okay, good on you for trying to flex in 1977, but uh, it looked okay. It For the time... It looked okay. To go back into a little bit of the background here. So the yellow screen sodium vapor process, we talked about this in the bed knobs and broomsticks episode. You can go check it out if you're interested. I won't go into the full detail, but essentially there was a prism that split up the light that was entering the camera into two different mats. So it would record two different mats at the same time and it would redirect yellow light away from all other light in the spectrum. This allowed them to create their roaming mat to create the composite at the same time that they were actually shooting the live action footage. And the interesting thing about this is that there was only one of these cameras because the guy who invented it made a prism that could do this and then couldn't recreate the process. And so the only camera that could create these films was owned by Disney. Mm-hmm. It's just as if it was like this magical artifact that presumably was guarded by the dragon that Don Bluth used. In- <laughs> that might have been part of the pitch. Like, well, why don't we just get the dragon that like guards the camera to be in the movie? They're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> We can't tell people about that dragon. I want you to animate the dragon. That's why he left. He's like, you have a dragon. Yeah. You have a dragon guarding the camera. He probably found out after the fact. It was like, you had a dragon the whole time. (laughs) Not only did you make me draw it, you refused my Dragon Lair prequel. I'm out. So getting into the actual animation of it, as Bobby mentioned earlier, Don Bluth, or as Rob, sorry, as Rob mentioned earlier, Don Bluth left the company shortly after making this movie. It also had to do with the making of Fox and the Hound, which is its own separate story. They were being made around the same time. But Don Bluth was particularly angry about making this film, mostly because they had to work extremely hard. This is like original Mm -hmm. crunch era, original Marvel working all of its CG animators to death because they're bad people. And this is Disney working Don Bluth and his team to death because they're bad people. Um, Because they worked like 18 hours days for three months straight to like make the deadline for this movie and disney kept cutting their budget at the end of the day don bluth was very disillusioned with how disney was making this because he felt like disney didn't care about quality was constantly trying to rush them to get it out the door didn't care how good it looked and then as soon as they actually finished it by working overtime for three months straight ron miller got a bonus and none of the animators did and he was like, fuck this noise, I'm out. And then uh, he had to outrun the dragon that they <laughs> sent after him. Yeah. And he was like, I have an idea. I have an idea for my first project. Before we get into the topic of the film, you had described this film as a musical about child abuse and alcoholism. And then when I saw, like, Don Blue's name pop up, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, like, find me a child that was not devastated by Land Before Time. There isn't one. Or any of his films. Yeah. Speaking of alcoholism and gambling, all dogs go to heaven. (laughs) I remember watching that as a teenager and being like, oh, wow, okay, wow, all of this went over my head. This is a fucking dark movie. It's a dark movie where a dumb-looking, goofy dragon shows up at one point. It's the exact same thing. (laughs) This movie was directed by Don Chaffee. Uh, Presumably, it's because... After Robert Stevenson made The Shaggy DA, he walked into the sea and never made another movie again. 
<laughs> so they needed somebody else. So Don Chaffee came in to make this one. Don Chaffee has a lot of British credits. Uh, the most interesting one is that he directed Jason and the Argonauts. Okay. The Ray Harryhausen film. Oh, cool. So he has a history with compositing special effects into live action. After this film... Did he also walk into the ocean? Um, no, no. But he didn't make a lot more films because he transitioned into just being a reliable American TV director. TV's easier. <laughs> Don't need to worry about that dragon that Disney <laughs> sicks on all of its people that are behind schedule <laughs> and protects the camera. <laughs> Uh, such a stupid running gag we have now. Is this is that what guards the Disney vault? Is the dragon? Oh yeah, it's the dragon. Yeah, which is where they keep Song of the South and this camera and Pete's Dragon America and Forever After. <laughs> yeah, 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 and the original script for Pete's Dragon USA Forever <laughs> After. There's only three things in the safe. We know yeah. this because they kept their original like nitrate film of unidentified flying oddball like next to the <laughs> yeah, microwave. <in> <laughs> Should we get the dragon to guard this? No. No. <laughs> While they were developing the script and they were moving into production, they were like, hey, maybe we can do this. Maybe this is something we can work on. They reached out to um, Al Kasia and Joel Hirschborn to write a song for the film. Now, they only reached oh, yeah, out for right. a single song because these two guys were known for writing, like, the one song from 70s films. This was back when movies had one song that they put up for an Oscar. This was, like, Butch casting the Sundance Kid had I was gonna raindrops say. are dropping on my head for some reason. And these two guys wrote a song for The Towering Inferno, which won an Oscar. And then they wrote a song for The Poseidon Adventure, which won an Oscar. And Disney <laughs> was like, we could have a song for Pete's Dragon, which could win an Oscar. So... They reached out to these guys, and these guys, having just come off Towering Inferno, Poseidon Adventure, winning two Oscars, they were like, well, people like Infernos, and people like Poseidons, <laughs> so let's do a song about fire and water. And so they wrote Candle on the Water and sent it to Disney, and Disney were like, this is the best song we've ever heard in our life. <laughs> We need 20 more of these, and let's make it into a musical. And so they decided, they were like, this could be our next Mary Poppins. This is going to be a full-on oh musical, full of songs. They're all going to win Oscars. We're going to be the first movie to win 20 Oscars for best song in the same year. They're going to change the rules just for us. And then Disney worked those two songwriters to death because they wrote 700 songs for this movie. <laughs> exactly! They, were, they liked that song so much that they were like, we need 700 of them. And so they well, made a movie that is approximately... Let me just check off a bunch of notes... 700 songs, there's so many songs. 11 hours long. Sean is not even joking. This movie claims to have a runtime of two hours and eight minutes. It is the longest two hours and eight minutes you will ever spend doing anything. I mean, you could try and break into the Disney vault for two hours and eight minutes, and it would be so much shorter. Yeah, because you could eat my fucking dragon. <laughs> That's why he's there, Rob. That dragon has lived for thousands of years, and even that dragon has not lived long enough to watch the film Pete's Dragon. Yeah. Now that they're decided they're going to make the longest musical in the world, they need to cast it. Who are they going to cast it? Well, Helen Reddy plays Nora. That's probably Helen Reedy. I'm probably saying that wrong. Helen Reedy plays Nora. Jim Dale, our good friend Jim Dale from Unidentified Flying Oddball, plays Dr. Terminus. Mickey yep. Rooney shows up. Yes, he does. As Lampy. Uh, I was an hour and 27 minutes into the film when I said, wait, Mickey Rooney's name is Lampy? And he works at a lighthouse. <laughs> I didn't notice up until then. 
I mean, there's two explanations. One, it's a nickname because he works in a lighthouse. Or two, it's nominative determinism. Yes. And his yep. family named him Lampy. And he's like, well, there's one thing I gotta do now. Yep. Build a lighthouse. We got big dreams for you, son. That's why we named you Lampy. <laughs> want to play the piano shut up lampy now the alcoholism makes sense yes red buttons plays dr terminus's assistant i did not want to look into whether or not that was a stage name or not because i was like fuck that dude nailed it (laughs) shelly winters plays lena gogan the head gogan which is a hillbilly family we'll get to that very quickly here uh sean marshall plays pete and Charlie Collins does the voice of Elliot, the most annoying voice in the world. It's not a voice, it's a bunch of clicks. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah, and what Bobby just did. And then he sings a song <laughs> like that. <laughs> I could listen to Bobby do that for hours, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> they really had to churn out 700 songs. They're like, what's, <laughs> what's the, what are the lyrics of this one? Well, here's what I have written. bo 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 Bo, 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 bo. And they're like, do it, whatever. Just, we got to get on to the next one. And he was like, I've been up for seven days. What do you want from me? <laughs> me and Don Bluth haven't slept in a month. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's the background of it. Uh, Robbie, how does this, the longest movie in the world, open? Uh, it opens with some special effects right off the bat. Special effects? What are you talking about? Well, I mean, if you wanted to not talk about the title cards. The title cards is what I'm talking about. Okay, You I can't gotcha. skip the title cards. They're three and a half minutes long, buddy. You're <laughs> right. They are fucking long. I was just, I just forgot about them. I, and it looked like it's a one Yeah. Like covering a whole matte painting. Yeah. My initial impression of it, it's a camera panning across a, like, hand-painted mural of yep. a main fishing town, which I guess is supposed to be the Passamaquoddy the setting of the movie and it's a really well painted mural and for maybe 30 seconds i was like oh, yeah. this is really well done i yeah. you know this is a really high quality opening that you know there's kind of a there's the score is playing a composite of all the different songs that you'll hear throughout this the longest film in the world and i was like this is great and then after 30 <laughs> seconds i was like this is too long and then after a minute and 30 seconds i was like this is still on and after three minutes <laughs> I was like, how is there still more mural? Yeah. It's still panning. <laughs> they got into such close detail of it that, like, you could see scratches and brush marks on it. Yeah. Which was kind of cool, like you said, for the first 10 seconds. Well, even 30 seconds. But yeah. it's just, it's three and a half minutes. They had to be so close because they didn't have as big a painting. So that's why they were so zoomed in on it that you could see all that detail. I think, like, you know, I celebrated my 37th birthday when the credits started. And by the time they were it, I was at least 39. <laughs> All right, Rob, what happens after the credits? Okay, so after the credits, uh, we get Pete floating through the air. He looks like he's flying uh, through the air, walking directly towards camera. But it's quickly revealed that he is riding on the back of a dragon. An invisible dragon. An invisible dragon. Um, But he quickly becomes visible, doesn't he? Like, immediately? Not in this sequence. He becomes visible after this entire opening sequence. Oh, I guess. It does open with him... Floating yeah. through the air, riding yeah. the back of an invisible dragon. So the whole premise of the original short story where it would be ambiguous as to whether or not this dragon exists. First shot of the movie, they throw that out the window. They're like, don't worry, there's an actual dragon. Exactly. And he's invisible. I wrote, wow, they waste no time uh, getting to the dragon, you know, the, the the conceit of the film. And then my next note was, are these hillbillies going to sing? 
Yes, yes, they are. <laughs> it reveals that Pete and his invisible dragon are on the run from his captors slash owners. And we'll talk about what the fuck is going on with that relationship there. There are three hillbillies chasing him through what appears to be the swamps of Louisiana. Like, the, <laughs> the setting of this movie is very confusing. It starts yeah. off, and it appears to be three hillbillies chasing Pete through either Louisiana or Florida. And these hillbillies appear to be clearly, like, West Virginian Appalachian, yeah. Tennessee, maybe like yeah. the hills of West Virginia, Beverly Hillbillies style hillbillies. And then they're chasing Pete because he's on the, he's running away from them. He's ran away from home because they're horrible monsters. And then some music starts and they start singing a choreographed dance singing number. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was like, okay, like remember we rehearsed when we get to it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> <are the> moves. <laughs> You were saying in High School Musical that the music wasn't diegetic. Like, getting the game is just in Troy Bolton's head. But the way that it's played off in Pete's Dragon is that, no, it's actually happening live. Like, <laughs> it's not It's not some sort of break in reality. I, I, I actually think they meant it to be that, yes, everyone is breaking into song in real life right now. Well, they're, they're like bluegrass hillbillies, you know? This is what they do to entertain themselves while Pete is working, working the, farm. the farm. They sit yeah. around choreographing their <laughs> dance <Yeah>. routine. <laughs> it takes a lot of time. This is why they need someone to do all the work on their farm, right. because they're like, and a five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and clearly this isn't the first child that they've bought and put into slavery. And Possibly eaten. Because... And possibly eaten. You are correct. That's okay. So that's the question I get to. So they sing this song about how they're like, Pete, come home. We'll be nice to you. But then the song slowly transforms into all the terrible things they're going to do to Pete. Except the song isn't clear what it is. It suggests that they bought Pete to own him and enslave him. Yes. But at times the lyrics of the song are, we're going to make him do all our work for us. And then at other times the lyrics of the song are, we're just going to shoot him for fun, I guess. And then at other times the lyrics of the song are, we're going to put him in a pot and eat him. <laughs> like, what is happening with these hillbillies? Like, what are their plans? For Pete. The hillbilly mom said that we spent our last $50 on this kid. It's because they keep buying kids, murdering <laughs> and eating them. <laughs> yeah. Like, they work on a farm. They should just farm the land, then they'd have food. <sighs> I guess. Bob, what do you think is going on with this family? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried to figure this out. Like, tie him up and put him to a rack, tie him to the railroad tracks, saw him in half, beat him, cook him, eat him. Like, these are lines from the song. And I was like, what What do you guys, why do you buy children? <laughs> like, as you said, it's like, you have a farm. Like, do you want him to work with the farm or <laughs> do you want to eat him? Because those are mutually exclusive options. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very dark movie. Yes, they're cannibals. <laughs> it's a Dom Bluth movie. <laughs> Everyone's either a cannibal or an alcoholic in this film. But these particular cannibals are hoping to catch Pete and eat him, so he has to hide from them while they do their choreographed cannibal song. <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> One more thing to mention. They keep singing about how they have the legal right to him, and later on they show a document that says yeah. Bill of Sale for this boy. One boy, please. I don't know what universe this takes place in, but it's apparently like 1900s Maine, 
And I'm fairly certain you couldn't buy boys in 1900s Maine or 1900s West Virginia or 1900s Florida, for that matter. None of the places in which this movie ostensibly takes place could you buy a young boy in 1900. They must just have uh, Donald Pleasant's document guy because they <laughs> just had some really good documents. Ah, oh, appears to check out. It appears you own this boy. Yes. <laughs> like, that wasn't just, like, written. Like, I'm pretty sure there was actually, like, boxes for people to sign and, like, descriptions of the boy. Like, that was a that was a pretty legally defined document by the looks of things. Yeah. They spent 50 cents to have a lawyer draw up the documents. So it's all legit. Yeah. And, like, as the lawyer was like, you realize you could just buy a cow and eat that instead. It would be much less work. <laughs> More drafted, less talking. <laughs> oh, man. This got so dark so fast. And we haven't... It's, this is the plot of the movie. And we haven't even got to the alcoholism yet. Just to be clear, this is not a joke where we're riffing. Like Don Bluth living with a dragon in front of the... That's not a joke either, Sean. These are the lyrics of the song. Yeah. We are going to eat this boy. But they can't find Pete, and they sleep in this Florida swamp. And then the next morning, it's they're no longer in Florida. They wake up in New England. <laughs> I wondered that, too. Maybe Pete just, like, picked up the log and carried it and was like, I guess they could have just done this the whole time. Elliot, you mean? Like, they were clearly in a swamp, and then he wakes up in a field. I don't understand it. You know, he would have just walked four more feet, and he would have been in an apple orchard? Also, the Gogans don't, like, if, if they're that desperate for a boy, they could just eat those right? apples. Like, there's other yeah. food. The dragon just could have eaten these people. Instead, he wakes up and eats a bunch of apples. Yep. We'll get to that at the end of the film, because that is the climax. After the whole movie, the dragon's like, oh, wait, I could just eat you. <laughs> I, just, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> They're in an apple orchard, and now we finally get the special effect, where... Pete's dragon appears, and he is an animated Don Bluth cartoon of a dragon, and they use yellow screen to composite him into shots with Pete. And sometimes it's kind of impressive, and sometimes it's less impressive. I don't really love any of the animation in this. I love Don Bluth. I love a lot of the shit he did in the 80s. I don't really like the design of the dragon. I don't like his voice. I find most of the compositing more annoying than anything, but you guys tell me what you thought about all of the animation effects here. So I had actually thought when I was younger, because I'd never actually seen this film until this week, I thought this movie came out in the 50s. Yeah. Yep. And then looking at the date, I was like, <laughs> you mean to tell me this came out the same fucking year as Star Wars? <laughs> Rob, have you, had you ever seen this film before? I had never seen this film. Yeah. When you suggested it, I watched a trailer for it, and I was like, oh, it's animated. Uh, that is how much I knew about Pete's Dragon. I did not know that it was a cartoon in live action. But I will say about the special effects, I did think some of the compositing was pretty good. I think the issue that they had was that Elliot was always the same shade of green. Yeah. He didn't change depending on the light. Yeah. And so it looked like it was clearly a cartoon on top of live action footage. He never really matched. Yeah. Um, I did like some of the shadow work they did was pretty good. Like when he was flying around that apple orchard, they matched the shadows really well with what was on the ground. So that was kind of cool. And then we we get that shot where uh, Pete and Elliot uh, nuzzle each other's faces. And it was like one of the first shots you see. And I was like, oh, wow, they're going for it right off the bat. It was kind of ill-advised because there was definitely clipping like of the cartoon into his face. But I was like, all right, they're flexing right off the bat. I hadn't seen this film either. I think I had seen maybe like 20 minutes of it or a brief section of it on an episode of The Wonderful World of Disney at some point. 
like because this movie is approximately 11 hours long, you know, they probably could <laughs> cut it up into like months and months worth of episodes of the wonderful world of Disney. Uh, I certainly didn't really know what the movie was about because whatever small portion I saw yeah. was so excluded from context that I was like, I don't know what I just watched. <laughs> I just walked away being like, what the fuck was that? What happens next, Bob? They break into the second song of the movie, and I really did not care for this song. This is a brutal song. I'm just going to interrupt you right now. This is the one where the the lyrics are just boom, 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 yeah. boom. I love you too. One of the lines is something to the effect of like, our lives together now are perfect. We have everything we need. And I was like, not 12 hours ago, <laughs> you were being chased by four rednecks threatening to eat you. And before that, they were probably sitting watching you milk cattle telling you they're going to eat you and life together is perfect like it was life was so bad an imaginary dragon had to manifest itself into existence to save you it's not great it's not great (laughs) and i i think this song is like at least an hour of the 11 hour runtime like honestly i'm gonna tell you guys something right now um i was watching them but i had some sort of glaze over my consciousness while the songs were happening and i was like yeah, I'm not really going to dedicate any brain power to remembering any of these lyrics or what is happening. And then after the song ended, you looked down and you had grown a long beard. You were like, yes, where did the years go? <laughs> Has it been so long? <laughs> it got to a point in this form where I was actively yelling at my television saying, how is there still more movie? Why are you still going on? <laughs> You're getting angry at your TV. <laughs> Stop playing it. I was like, Stop playing it. Threw my nose down. I was like, how is there more film? Most of this movie is musical numbers. Very little dialogue. Very little plot. So, like, did they just take the script and turn it into songs, or were they were just like, you got to save us? Well, they they turned it into a musical after they apparently after they got the candle in the water song. They were like, let's just put all of the songs in here. Every song ever written. <laughs> Every song ever written. <laughs> candle in the water. Candle in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> They're all in here. You're not wrong. After they eat their roasted apples, they see a sign for this New England main fishing village called Passamaquoddy. And Pete goes, that sounds like a great place. Literally anything is better than where we were. And then he tells Elliot, he's like, you got to be invisible because people don't like looking at a weird Don Bluth animated dragon. <laughs> the boy is really mean to Elliot as soon as they get to town. He, he actively tells him he ruined everything <laughs> despite saving his life. So they go into town, and because Elliot is a giant dragon, he breaks everything in town. He, like, walks into a fence and destroys it. He steps on wet cement, and he scares everybody, although they can't see him yet. There is the school kids who are going to school, and the school mistress scolds Pete, and uh, the dragon kind of plays a prank on her and pulls her skirt, and she gets very mad at Pete, and everyone in town hates Pete because they think he's the one who made the big dragon feet in the wet cement. That was a good effect. How did they do that? It would have been something underneath. the. Mm-hmm. Oh, the... and it just dropped down. I That was probably the best effect in the whole film. So Pete and Elliot run into an alley to hide. They hide behind lobster cages. I don't know if you guys have ever seen lobster cages before. They're mostly just see-through. They're very bad at hiding, but for some reason the town doesn't find them anyway. And they're so bad at hiding that Elliot was invisible and turns visible once (laughs) they need to hide. So that's, again, he's got it backwards. But as they're back there, uh, Mickey Rooney comes out of the pub in the back door because he's going to stumble home because he is drunk off his ass because he is clearly an alcoholic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He is very drunk. He is Sean recording the cocktail episode drunk. <laughs> that was my note. <laughs> Keep in mind, he's a lighthouse keeper. 
So he works night shifts. So it's actually, even though it's like 9 a.m. because those kids are just going to school, it's the end of the day for him. Originally, because the kids were going to school, like you pointed out, Rob, I said, holy shit, Mickey Rooney is just leaving the bar, like, at 9 a.m.? And then in the next scene, which we'll get to, I said, oh, no, wait, the whole town is drinking at 9 a.m. <laughs> because Mickey Rooney sees the dragon and he freaks out and he runs back into the bar. And then we see inside the bar and it's fucking packed. Yeah, fucking everybody in town. Packed. Everyone is drinking at 9 a.m. Well, and everyone's complaining like there's no fish and there's no jobs. I'm like, no, you guys are all just alcoholics. <laughs> Maybe if you left the bar at any point, this town would thrive again. They were all fishermen, right? Like, Every per person in the bar was a fisherman, I think we're led to believe. Because we still see a shit ton of people in town. There's the guy, the egg vendor, the milkman, the guy doing cement work, the mayor. Everyone's going to school, going about their jobs. And then they just open up this door into this clearly giant set. Because it's no way does that bar fit into that building. But, like, it's this huge fucking bar. And it's just packed. And it's packed. With, like, a hundred people <laughs> just getting liquored up. It's it's nine in the morning. It's one of the best parties you've ever seen. <laughs> Mickey Rooney comes in and he tells all the other drunks, he's like, I saw a dragon, I saw a dragon. And every other drunk in the bar is like, crazy old Maurice thinks he saw a dragon. <laughs> and then Mickey Rooney starts singing a song about how he saw a dragon. In this film, Mickey Rooney fucking sells it. He is great in this movie. So he's doing like, he's singing, but he's doing so much work with his face while singing, like, you know, some people, when you watch them sing, they're just basically all their focus is on to singing. But Mickey Rooney is doing an entire performance with his eyes and eyebrows and facial expressions while singing lyrics. It's so, so captivating to watch. So here are my two notes for this scene. The first is Crazy Old Maurice. And the second is Mickey Rooney is good at acting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, his uh, ill-advised performance in... Breakfast at Tiffany's aside, Mickey Rooney's a legend for a reason. Like, he's a good actor. Yeah. Like, he's an old school actor. Like, he's pre-method. This yeah. guy's no Marlon Brando, but he is a very good old school actor. Like, he knows how to capture people's attention. And when a camera is on him, he knows what he should be doing. Whether he's in the front of the scene or in the back of the screen, he's always doing exactly what he should be doing. He is the most captivating performance. I'd say the other note I have, and it's not necessarily about him because his daughter comes in, Helen Reedy or Helen Reddy, as soon as she started singing, I was like, oh, Jesus, and she's the one in this movie who can sing. Yep. Yep. She has a great voice. Her introduction to this scene was... I couldn't help but laugh as she sticks her head in the bar and says, has anyone seen my father? And everyone just points to him like drunk on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> And I need to point out that it's during the song. Yeah. So this yes. is like a third of the way through the song. In time with the tempo, she sticks her head in the window and is like, where's my dad? And they all just point to the drunk on the floor as if it's this playful musical number. And you're like, this is very dark context, but okay. And now she comes into the song. And this song keeps going. And everyone in the bar keeps singing about how crazy old Maurice saw a dragon. And it becomes more and more choreographed. People start swinging from the rafters. Helen Reedy starts dancing on the tables. And then she gets on a beer barrel and starts riding the beer barrel around. And then everyone is riding beer barrels. And then she's so sexy that the beer barrels climax and spray foam over everybody. The bartender just watches in horror as he watches his business explode around him. 
I want to know your guys' thoughts on this, and there's plenty to say about the sequence, but I will say after two terrible fucking songs, I fucking loved this number. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking loved it so much. I honestly broke out laughing so hard. My my wife was on the couch beside me reading a book, and she was like, "What is hat? What what are you laughing at?" I'm like, "Just imagine this woman's day. She like woke up. <laughs> she went to go find her dad, who this is a regular occurrence. Clearly, after he the, like the sun rises, he goes gets shit faced at the bar. She has to go find him. And today, she's just like, "Wait, what is happening?" <laughs> Just the audacity of this scene. She just goes with it, yeah, though. That's what I'm saying. She's just like, all right. All right, yeah, now I'm swinging from the rafters. She's got a big old grin on her face. She's like, now I'm tap dancing yeah. on a beer barrel. And the bartender just has this look on his face where he's like, not again. <laughs> I really need to ban this family. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in town spends all their time in the pub, so he can probably afford, yeah. you know, the, the dance sequence are a loss leader. Like, he's like, listen, it keeps them in here. You know, I will lose these five barrels of beer because everyone in town spends all their money at this bar. Even within the context of this world where you can purchase and eat children, this song number still is over the top. <laughs> For me, this is when the movie peaked. This was the best scene yeah. in the film. Oh, easily. It easily. took three hours, but it got there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, there's approximately nine hours left. Yeah. They stumble home, I guess. She takes her, her father home because he's blackout drunk. Because Pete and Elliot have been banished from town because he stepped in some cement, he goes to hide out near a cave by the lighthouse. And Nora sees the child enter the cave by the lighthouse. So she goes down. She's like, what are you doing down here? You shouldn't be down here. This is very dangerous. He's like, I'm just hanging out with my dragon. And she's like, uh, you should come upstairs and have some soup. So she takes him into the lighthouse. But she says, leave Elliot. Yeah, but she's just kind of like, she doesn't believe that he has a dragon, obviously. Yeah. She thinks her right. father is yep. hallucinating because he's an alcoholic and probably sees pink elephants everywhere. She thinks he's a little boy with an imaginary friend. So she's just like humoring him. She's like, yeah, okay, just leave, leave the dragon here and we'll go up and have some soup. I do want to point out as this movie goes on, and the dragon does more and more destruction, and literally everyone in town starts to just, not just believe there's a dragon, they're just like, oh, clearly there's a dragon. We've all seen it now, <laughs> and we sing many songs about it now, and we're just building our entire economy it's the around the dragon. Yeah, the dragon. <laughs> she still is just like, sure, dragon. Okay, folks. <laughs> So she takes him upstairs, and he's like, yeah, I'm on the run from cannibals. And she's like, you should probably not go back to them then if they're going to eat you. Why don't you stay here? And then they sing another song. Magic in Pairs, I think. Uh, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy to write 400 songs it's yeah. <laughs> before Friday. Tell Disney it's wrong. <laughs> My note for this was just like, Jesus Christ, not another fucking song. <laughs> I hated the lyrics to this. Like, it's supposed to be this nice moment of she's like humoring Pete to be like, well, what does Elliot look like? And he go, he does everything but say, oh, he's a dragon. Because then there wouldn't be a song. He says, oh, he is the kid of a hamel, the head of a camel, the face of a fish, and the neck of a crocodile. And I'm like, just say he's a dragon. <laughs> he describes it in a very bad way and says at one point that he's half fish, half mammal. And eventually, after he gets through the description, oh, he has the neck of a crocodile. I'd like to point out that he definitely does not have the neck of a crocodile. Crocodiles do not really have necks. They're like heads yeah. just go straight into their bodies. And eventually, I just wrote down, I was like, oh, right, he doesn't go to school. That school teacher was right. He needs to fucking go to school and learn what a fucking crocodile is. <laughs> so after this, then what happens? Oh, 
I think we get the other villain of the piece, right? Yeah. Traveling naturopath and homeopathic doctor, Dr. Terminus, shows up on his cart with sails. Yeah. So he can't afford horses, so he drives around using the wind. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty impressive, I think, I guess. He wants to stop? And they say drop an anchor? Like it's supposed to be some sort of land ship? I kind of <laughs> liked how weird and absurdist his whole deal was. Yeah. He has a little wagon with a sail, and then to slow down, he has to use an anchor? Like, it's, I don't know, it's very Teddy Ruxpin or something. I don't know what it is about it. <laughs> and he shows up, and he's a snake oil salesman, and he's been there before, and everyone in Passamaquoddy hates him. They're like, oh, I think they remember us. And they're like, get out of town, you cheat. And so then he sings a song about how he's going to cure all their ales. Uh, and the song is so charming that he wins them over. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty accurate to how capitalism works. <laughs> I didn't mind this song either. I thought this was another one of the... I liked this whole sequence. I liked his whole snake oil song sequence. I liked Jim Dale in this movie as well. I thought he was good. Me too. I was just yeah. more impressed because there's two bits. They do a, they do the same thing in this a song where uh, they say the name of the town and he doesn't remember it. So he keeps going like Passamaquoddy. That, that's the actual name, Passamaquoddy, but he's like Passamapuki. Yeah, and he does it so well and it's just gibberish and nonsense i was like is he making it up and he just needs to know the like the amount of syllables or is he actually remembering the different versions because that would be so hard to do he says like 10 different names and he nails them it's so good he's in a series of like english comedic films called carry on which are just a series of like there's Carry on screaming, carry on Cleo, carry on up the Kyver. Like, they were just a series of English comedic films that went on for quite some time. And he was in a number of those. So he's the guy under his chops in comedy. So he knows what he's doing. Well, Bobby, what do you think of Jim Dale? Would you remember him as, um, what's his face? Uh, Mordred. I, the, Mordred? I, I just, I, he showed up on, oh, Jesus Christ, I bet this is Rob's favorite fucking movie now. I liked him more in this movie than in, um, Unidentified Flying Oddball. Yeah. So that's because Unidentified Flying Oddball is Unidentified Flying Oddball. <laughs> yeah. No, he was definitely better in this film. He had more to do in this film and he wasn't just doing duel after duel you know exactly what his character wants he's does you say he's just capitalism he's doing whatever he can to make a quick buck and so he's like i need to rip these people off as quick as possible oh dragon cool i'm gonna eat it like you just know exactly what he needs <laughs> he says at one point he says gadzonks and he sells it anybody who can say that and sell it mint later that night after they convince the town to love them again with a song, he is in the bar with his assistant, who is also clearly an alcoholic because his assistant is falling down drunk. And Mickey Rooney shows up, who's falling down drunk, like everyone. Uh, at least it's not 9 a.m. this time. No, no. It's before his shift. Yeah, it's, it's like the start Mickey, of his shift. <laughs> like he's... How are there not so many boat crashes? There like, are. Yeah, right? His daughter's fiance died because Lampy is an alcoholic. His boat just went under. I don't know what happened, sweetie. That's why everyone was in the bar. They're like, okay, where's Lampy today? Oh, he's in the bar. Well, we can't go out. So he goes up to them, though, and for whatever reason, he's like, hey, guys, you want to hear something crazy? I saw a dragon. And Dr. Terminus is like, that is crazy. Um, good luck with that. But then... <laughs> His alcoholic assistant is like, that sounds like fun. Go show me this dragon. And so Lampy takes his alcoholic assistant down to the cave, shows him the dragon. Elliot's like, boo. And they're like, ah, and they run away. Or Just whatever. like literally before this scene, I think, is where you learn about Nora's fiance getting lost to scene, not coming back. And this is where she sings her song in the light. The oh, lighthouse. yeah, that's. Oh, for fuck's sake, this song. Oh. Candle in the Wind. She has an amazing singing voice. And that was the thing that stood out. I went, oh, she's she's the singer in this movie. She's great. I only make note of this scene specifically because just before Lampy goes to get lamped, 
is she says something to her dad about the effects of like, you know, I really think that like Pete needs to be realistic about Elliot. And her dad sober looks at his daughter and is like, well, you're not the one to talk about being realistic, are you, sweetie? And leaves the house. <laughs> Jesus, right. Her fiance. <laughs> we all know I killed your fiance. And until you accept that, we can't move on as a family. <laughs> Both Red Button and Mickey Rooney were comedians, and they clearly were just trying to, like, out-drunk each other. Oh, they were improving everything that was going on in that scene. Yeah, they were good. They were both really good. Uh, Mickey Rooney was better than Red Button, I think, but... Uh... In the battle of the names, like, Mickey Rooney or, like, Red Buttons, like, I don't know. That's a toss-up. So I do have something to say about this candle in the water scene. Okay, so we're told that Nora's fiancé was lost at sea after Lampy killed him. Paul. Paul <laughs> is his name. And so she goes up to literally sing her torch song at the top of the lighthouse. And she sings Candle in the Water, which was the first song that the songwriters wrote, what got them the gig. This song was nominated for Best Song at the Oscars. It didn't win, but it also charted. It was quite successful as a song. I will say, as a torch song, it's fine. Like, I'm not totally shocked mm-hmm. that Disney got it, and they were like, oh, this is great. We need more of these songs. Like, it's not a bad song. This number is terrible. I do not know what the fuck was going through Don Chaffee's head, the director, when he made this. Because this entire sequence, it's like a three and a half minute song. It's like a pop song. It's it's a music video. There are three shots in the video. The opening shot, where she like enters the top of the lighthouse and the music starts. Then there is a slow zoom in from a wide shot into like kind of like a medium close up. And that shot, that slow zoom, lasts for one minute and 40 seconds. <laughs> it is the bulk of the song is a uh, single shot. It? Yes, because I couldn't believe it. <laughs> like we talked about the opening is three minutes of that like mural. This isn't even movement. There's nothing. It's a woman standing stationary lip syncing to a song as the camera slowly zooms in. Like it's so absurd. It almost feels artistic, you know? Like, the longest zoom-in shot you've ever seen in your life. Like, you're, we're just going to hold uh-huh. this of a woman standing there. But, like, she's lip-syncing. She's not even acting. There's nothing to see. It's so wide for most of it, you can't even really see the performance. And, and then it ends by just completely going out of focus. Like a music video. Yeah, and, and that, but, like, that out-of-focus shot is like maybe five seconds long which is a really long fucking time it baffles me like it first of all the song doesn't need to be in the movie which is unfortunate because it's their oscar and raindrops keep falling on my head needed to be in the movie (laughs) no that doesn't need to be there either. i can't imagine in the towering inferno what song that was (laughs) that needed to be in that movie either (laughs) ouch my pants are hot I'm imagining Steve McQueen singing that song, and it's amazing. (laughs) Ouch, my pants are on fire. (laughs) Get to the stairwell, we have to climb higher. (laughs) Hurry, hurry, my pants are on fire. (laughs) It writes itself. It does. (laughs) All right, so then uh, Doc Terminus' assistant drunkenly sees the dragon. He runs back to Doc Terminus, and he's like, I saw a dragon. And Doc Terminus is uh, making his medical potions out of potato peels. Which I found kind of funny. And seawater. It feels seawater. Yeah, and so he's like, oh, it's ten parts seawater? No wonder they like it so much. 
what, what does that even mean? He's just assuming that these locals are, like, drinking seawater? Well, it is Maine. I mean, like, at the end of the day, this does feel like a kind of, like, a Lovecraftian story of, like, this Maine fishing village where yeah. this chthonic monster of the deep inhabits. Lives under the, the lighthouse. If you imagine as, like, Elliot is one of the Elder Gods, it does make sense. Wait, 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 wait. And everyone blames all the ship crashes on the dragon, but it's actually just Lampy getting drunk. Yeah, because he's, he's battling his own demons. The next day, uh, Nora tries to take Pete to school. She buys him some new clothes. I gotta say now, we haven't really talked too much about, uh, what's her name? Nora's, Nora's character? The, the actress? Helen Reedy. She's given a pretty thankless role. Yeah. Mickey Rooney's the alcoholic. Elliot's playing off a dragon. She's like the straight person, the through line. And I thought she was awesome. I thought she did a really good job in this film. Sure. I mean, I got nothing bad to say about her. I thought she was good. Yeah, but she's got to be kind of like the heart. Like, you want yeah. Pete to stay with this family, even though one of them's clearly an alcoholic and they live in a lighthouse. But you're like, yeah, this is awesome. And it's all it's all Nora. It's all that character. Yeah, yeah. She does a great job. Pete goes to school. And then the kids sing another fucking song about going to school. <laughs> Which climaxes on all of the kids dancing from the top of the mast of a ship? Yeah. yeah. What the fuck It looks is incredibly that? dangerous. Oh, yeah. My, my wife had said, she's like, wow, this would have been the sweetest playground in high in elementary school until they told us we weren't allowed to play on it anymore because children died. So there was they showed that it was a wide shot. And I was like, so they're not really focusing in on the people in the background. So those are clearly like adults subbing in for it. And then they like get closer. I'm like, no, there's actually kids up there. They put mm. real kids on that fucking mast. Well, I'm sure there's wires, there's safety wires yes, attached, I know. but it still seems quite dangerous. It's the 70s, did they? <laughs> and then the kids all do a dance number that takes them so long they're late for school. So as you said, these songs are not diagenic. They're in the movie. They all <laughs> yes, danced yeah. so long they were late for school. These actually happened. Like, every single one of these dance song musical numbers actually happened in real life. But they're all singing from the top of a mat, so, like, nobody would be able to hear them. <laughs> So um, while he's in school, Elliot makes another mess and he breaks through the wall of the school and creates a Looney Tunes-esque cartoon outline of his body in the wall of the school. Twice. Twice. <laughs> and there is kind of this moment where it's like, Elliot, like, I know you're here to, like, help children, but, like, destroying their school is not that. I mean, I understand that it's because Pete's getting, like, beaten. But he's getting beaten because Elliot rang the bell when he shouldn't have. So anyway, at that point, everybody's like, oh shit, there is a dragon. Look at this outline in this school. Yeah. Only a dragon could do that. It looks exactly like a dragon drawn by Don Bluth. Uh, and then, so Jim, Dale, Dr. Terminus believes Red that it's actually a dragon right now. Yeah, because he saw the Don Bluth outline. Yeah. He's like, oh shit. So he goes to his book of remedies and goes, dragon, dragon, dragon. Ah, a dragon. So up until this time, he said, dragons don't exist. Don't be an idiot. And so then he sees this cutout and goes, oh, I know what to do. Goes to his book and has all of these remedies that you use dragon parts for. Yeah. Two things. One, doesn't believe dragons exist. Two, sells seawater and potato peels and makes a fortune off of it. Yeah. He doesn't actually want to cure anybody. Why does he want to catch this dragon? It doesn't make any fucking sense. That's the question I have. Like, my, my first note was, where did he get this dragon book? Yeah. My second note was he sells snake oil. Like, yeah. how does he incorporate real dragon parts into his business plan? Right. He could sell more snake oil and say it's made out of dragons. Correct. Oh, I think that's his plan. But why does he need the dragon then to do that? Because he's just looking for a way to turn this and make a buck. Because it legitimizes it? It legitimizes it. Like, yeah, like, this has, like, dragon nails in it. This will obviously cure you. Like, this is just the basis for the current, like, supplement industry as we know it. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. But okay. he could just make it 
up. I guess if he had like a dragon skull at the top of his like sail. I almost imagine it that when when he's talking to Red Buttons and he says, don't be ridiculous, don't believe in dragons. And like inside his mind is like, I really hope he hasn't found my dragon book. Anyway, so they sing another song about dragons and chopping up and eating dragons. And it goes on for fucking ever. They take a break in this song only for the song to start back up again when it's the 50 Frenchman can't be wrong, we'll kill a dragon. Don't they at this point get arm in arm together and go skip off to the tavern too in the middle of the day? Is that where this is at the end of the Probably song. that's where everyone is. If they gotta go find somebody, it's <laughs> 9 a.m. Where's everyone gonna be? At the yeah. bar. This is a kid's movie. Yeah, I guess it is technically a kid's movie. But it's almost over. We have to wrap this up. Otherwise, we're gonna be here for another, like, 15 hours talking about, like, the other 200 songs we still have to get through. <laughs> so, uh, about this time, we get the return of the Gogans, right? They only introduce themselves via hiding behind objects and going, as they slowly pull themselves up. <laughs> Because this is how they introduce themselves to you in the forest, and then this is how they introduce themselves to everyone in the town. I wrote an hour 32, and they're back. Because earlier in the film, in my notes, I was just like, did they just, do they not come back? I really hoped that the cannibal hillbillies just didn't show up again, and I was like, that opening number was specific to that. It would have been the funniest thing if they decided to put that in the movie and never reference it again, but then they showed back up. No, then they have to show up and sing their song about how they legally purchased this boy and drag the papers all across town to show everyone. Yeah. I don't know what was going on with Disney in the 70s with child slavery and kidnapping because <laughs> watching this, I was also reminded of the film The Rescuers, which is also about a little child that is kidnapped yeah. by yeah. a crazy old lady in the swamps of Florida. I had that too. It's get like a pirate treasure out of a tiny cave. Yeah, There's also see, right. like a tidal cave involved. It's very rescuers. This whole thing mm. is very rescuers. And then the little child befriends these imaginary creatures that help the child, like, escape from the child slavery situation. I kind of, like, got to the point where I was like, is this the same character? Is this <laughs> Miss Gogan? The same woman from The Rescuers? Yeah. Is that why she wants Pete to, like, get some pirate treasure? We don't see their house. Doesn't she, like, live on a boat or something? Yeah. In Rescuers? They go back empty-handed, just, like, buy another child. They're like, never, never mind. We're not going to eat this one. Just, like, deal with the pirate treasure that's, like, somewhere in the swamp. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that, like, Bob Newhart and Zsa Zsa Gabor? Yes, it is. (laughs) Uh, I have four more notes. That is it. Plot's almost over. We're at the climax here. Doc Terminus then goes to the Gogans, and he's like, why don't we team up? Just like the Penguin and Catwoman in Batman Returns, the villains team up at the end of the film to take on the hero. They also recruit the entire town in on it, too. Yeah, yeah. It's not just the Penguin and Catwoman. It's literally it's everyone in Gotham <laughs> helped them <Yeah>. out. <laughs> so everyone in town teams up to try to catch this dragon. And the way that they do it is Doc Terminus kidnaps Pete and then holds him hostage so that Elliot will come rescue Pete. And then they're going to throw a big net over Elliot. But they forget that he's a giant dragon, so it doesn't really work out well. I'm going to skim over this because I don't really yeah. fucking care about no, this no, climax. The only plot point we've skipped, which is important, is at one point when they're hanging out between one of the 7,000 songs in this movie, Pete says, oh, by the way, Elliot's going to go find your fiance. Don't worry about it. Oh, yeah, right, 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 right. And then as this is going on, there's like storms and lightning and Paul is just sailing into town, but he gets back and is like, oh, the light's not working. Like, damn that lampy. (laughs) (laughs) Not again. Typical lampy. Not again. (laughs) The light in the lighthouse goes out because a big wave knocks out the fire. And so while Elliot is escaping from the Gogan slash Doc Terminus slash all of Gotham that's teamed up to take him out, um, they're trying to get the lighthouse fire started again. And Elliot and Pete escape just in time to go back to the lighthouse, start the fire, at which point 
point, Paul can dock his boat, get off the boat, and is reunited with Nora. I, I, I really quickly want to go over that. Just a couple keynotes from that stupid warehouse scene is that yep. they're trying to harpoon him, and they are either going to kill the dragon or kill the boy, and they don't care. At which point, Doc Terminus pulls the ultimate cartoon move, harpoons himself out of the <laughs> warehouse, and they play the fucking goofy yell as he flies through the air. <laughs> oh, yeah, the goofy hauler. I forgot about that. <laughs> I actually like that moment. And Elliot also, uh, with his fire breath, burns the the really totally legitimate bill of sale documents for Pete uh, that the, yeah. the Gorons have. And then, yeah, then, as you said, there's this whole stupid sequence where Elliot is stuck in the lighthouse, so he can't light the lighthouse fuel, and he's, like, trying to blow the fire, and he can't light it, and Lampy's like, I don't know, everything's soaking wet, and I'm drunk. I really shouldn't be <laughs> doing this job. I'm also clearly, like, 75, so I don't know why I haven't retired. The, the whole time, and I'm like... Elliot, just get out of the lighthouse and stand on top of it and breathe fire. Everybody will yeah, see that. That would have been such a good right? climax. I thought of that. When it was going, I was like, is he going to be the lighthouse? I could visualize it. I thought that was going to happen, and it didn't. And it was such a disappointment. It would have been such an iconic image. On know? top of the lighthouse, mm-hmm. just fire breath in the air. Would have been yeah. awesome. And Paul would have been like, that's new. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would have been amazing. Well, Lampy stepped up his game. <laughs> or he lit the lighthouse on fire. Probably the latter, knowing Lampy. <laughs> Then Paul gets off the boat and is like, she's like, where have you been all this time? He's like, eh, uh, amnesia, definitely not married to another woman, definitely don't have another family. Just <laughs> That's what I wrote. My note was Paul definitely has a second family. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I'm assuming Elliot is flying to that island to deal with his son. Even if you take his story at face value, his story was, I had amnesia, and then... I got knocked out of the bed by something invisible, hit me on the head, and suddenly my memories came back. Which means Elliot's whole plan was to fly across the globe, find this man, and then just hit him in the face. (laughs) And he did, and it worked. So what can you say? Then he flies back. He's like, yeah, he's coming. (laughs) I punched him. I could have just brought him here, but... (laughs) I know. He could have flown in there. (sighs) But he's he's just like... <laughs> Which we all know he didn't have amnesia. He just had a second family, and Elliot was like, there's more of that where it came from. If you don't go back to Nora, <laughs> you better come back. <laughs> Except he went, bo, 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 bo. So at the very end, uh, the littlest hobo leaves and goes to the next village to save Paul's child. Paul's son. Yeah. That's a very local reference. Littlest Hobo, Canadian television series about a dog that goes town to town helping orphans that are being hunted by cannibals. <laughs> I didn't realize that there's an epi- there's like a spinoff series that like takes place in the future. Wait, what? And it's like supposed what? to be the same dog. <laughs> what? <laughs> that dog lives forever? And they're like some sort of breed of super dog. I've never seen it. I remember like going down the rabbit hole. Is he always wearing one of those like big dome space helmets? <laughs> <laughs> Still has the same theme song. There's a voice. Keeps on calling me down, down the, road. the road. Except he's just like piloting a spaceship. Where I'll always be. Uh, anyway, that's the end of the movie. Bob, did you have any thoughts about it? My last note is I really fucking hated this film. Yeah, I, I saw yeah. that coming. I texted you and I was like, oh my God, Bob, this is nine hours long and it's all songs. You're going to hate it. <laughs> How much did you hate it, Bob? Where does it rank? This will probably go at like number four. 40 below G-Force. Oh, wow. Okay. One above Cocktail. Did you like any elements of it, or was it all just bad for you? It was just so weird. It <laughs> is, and not just because it's a movie about a boy with an invisible dragon. I fucking loved dragons when I was a little kid. I uh, loved knights, sto- loved stories of knights in armor, loved stories of slaying dragons. Always thought that shit was cool. Listened to the band Dragon Force in high school. This didn't do it for me. Fair enough. 
it's uh it's just really long and weird and like i i wrote down why is this movie still going on how is there still more movie to go it just never fucking ends they needed to get all 500 songs to it there's like some part of you that's not convinced this film like isn't some sort of like dadaist play where like <laughs> someone is watching you watch the movie and that is the performance <laughs> that like 12 hours into this movie you're like if you're not tearing your hair out like i don't know how i agree I think I liked it a little bit better than you. Uh, there are a few things I liked. I liked Mickey Rooney in this. I thought Mickey Rooney mm-hmm. was pretty great. Um, I liked Jim Dale as Doc Terminus. I thought he was pretty great. I modestly liked a few of the songs. Uh, like I said, the musical number in the bar is pretty awesome. You know, I, I don't mind Doc Terminus's first song. Uh, but there are also, if there's three songs I like, there's 33 songs that I don't like at all. Um, and most yeah. of the rest of the movie is doesn't do much for me either. And it's extremely long. I was glad when it was finally over after 10,000 years. I am going to put this uh, just below D2, The Mighty Ducks, <laughs> and just above Freaky Friday 1976, so that's 33 wow. for me. I'm, I'm shocked uh, that I've put this the highest out of everybody. I'm not, I'm not shocked not. at all. <laughs> like, that's, that's every episode. I echo pretty much everything you said there, Sean. Mickey Rooney's awesome. Jim Dale's awesome. Uh, Helen Reedy was like the through line, the heart of the, the thing. So I put uh, Pete's Dragon 1 at 29. It's not that far above me. No, I'm just amazed that I put it the highest yeah, yeah. out of all of us. Uh, I put it below The Black Hole and above A Kid in King Arthur's Court, so 29. Yeah. Well, it's not a very good movie. Yeah, that bar scene, though, fuck was that funny. Oh, so good. Like, oh, honestly... So good. You could probably just YouTube yeah. it. Just watch that. You've watched the best part just of the Just watch film. that scene. <sighs> all right, well, you know, I think that brings us to the end of our episode, but tune in next week because we are going to do the 2016 remake of Pete's Dragon as our second part of our two-parter wait robbie what are you gonna say don't we gotta say what else came out or did we already do this here we done 1977 before i didn't i assumed we had done it before and so i didn't look it up and also the box office this movie made 18 million bucks i think yeah we can mention the box office it did okay it what was the budget was um 10 million and it made 18 it made 18 domestic i i have 36 million as a worldwide okay oh well so yeah so it, it did well it did well Disney was slightly disappointed because they were gunning for like a, this was a big swing for them. They wanted like a Mary Poppins kind of a thing. Yeah. The reviews at the time were like, this is one of the better Disney offerings recently. That's how low people's opinion of Disney are, where like this fucking garbage goes out and people are like, oh, Disney's, this is the best Disney I've seen in a while. Yep. Um, I'm just going to quickly look. Maybe did 1977 Disney films, didn't we do it? Did we not do it? Maybe we didn't. We did 1966. Let's talk about what other films came out in 1977. First, Herbie goes to Monte Carlo. Still milking that <laughs> Herbie teeth. Trying to get a few more movies out of that one. There's like 10 other Herbie movies after that, though. There was a lot of milk in that teat. <laughs> uh, the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which was a collection of all of the Winnie the Pooh shorts that they compiled into a feature film. Uh, 74 minutes long, so still not even 90, but quite successful and quite famous. Everybody loves Winnie the Pooh. A Tale of Two Critters, one of those Disney true life adventures stories. Ho ho, look at them go. Now there's only one critter. Oh no. Ho ho, now there's no critters. Jesus. Candleshoe, uh, which is a movie starring Jodie Foster. That comes up 
on my you might also like. Uh, I'm like, I don't think I will. Yeah. But thanks, Disney. <laughs> and one more film Disney released in 1977. Take a guess at what it is. I'm just going to say they had a theme that year. Candles? Lighthouse, Candle on the Water. Well, they did Candle Shoe, so Candles was a theme. Their other theme was Child Slavery, so they released <laughs> The Rescuers. Oh, it's oh. The Rescuers. So <laughs> it's, it's the, the same, same movie. Year. It's the same oh fucking movie. Oh my god. Okay, that adds up. <laughs> that's amazing. Maybe that's why Don Bluth left, because he was like, you made the same movie twice, and you made me work on the bad one. <laughs> I'll take my chances with the dragon, let me out of my contract. All right, well, thank you for listening. I hope you tune in next week, listener, to hear what we thought of the 2016 remake of Pete's Dragon. Let's all wish Bobby some success as he flies away to make Avatar 3, The Panther Rides the Pterodactyl. Bye, Bobby! Go, Bobby, go! Bye! Bo, bo, bo. Oh, do we gotta say it's called the podcast for tennis shoes? Oh, say it like the dragon, Bob. And that's the show. If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at thepodcastwartennisshoes at gmail.com. We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at podwar. That's at P-O-D-W-O-R-E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. We hope you tune in next time. Thanks.